This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guests for this episode are Rebecca Vieira and Colleen McGowan-Romanowitz. Rebecca is a coordinator of a multilateral effort to network ministries of education and education leaders to improve the quality of STEM teaching in the Americas. Until late 2018, Rebecca was the K-12 program manager at the American Association of Physics Teachers. She managed collaborative grants from NASA, NSF, and private foundations. She also served as an Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellow placed at NASA's Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate. She was awarded the Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching. Rebecca is currently pursuing her doctorate in science education at the University of Maryland, College Park. Dr. Colleen McGowan-Romanowitz completed her PhD in 2007 under the direction of David Hestinus. She was an assistant professor of science education at Arizona State University until 2011 when she transitioned to become the AMTA's first executive officer. In 2014, she retired from ASU to devote her full attention to the AMTA. In 2017, she retired from the XO position and became AMTA's first senior fellow. Colleen continues to write grants, teach courses in modeling instruction, and train workshop leaders. She's well published on modeling instruction, and her current research includes computational modeling, teacher leadership, out-of-field science teaching, and cognition in modeling instruction. Here's my interview with Rebecca and Colleen. Hi, Rebecca. Hi there. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well, thanks. So how are you and your husband holding up in Washington, D.C. during the pandemic? We're okay. We've got a daughter, too, so it's it's lots of fun. We've been watching lots of movies and taking lots of walks around the same blocks <laughs> for the past six weeks now. Um, and I think I had one adventure when I went to the nearby bodega to get a, what was it, a gallon of milk and a toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> we do have we do have a community garden um so so we visit that once a week because shockingly we've just been too busy during the week too busy um it's you know taking over people it it's hard to have boundaries and limits right when you're at your home computer all day yeah i've spoken with a lot of people that are surprised at how busy they have actually become doing things that Maybe they didn't have time or opportunity to do when they were in full-time work and their jobs and all that. So it's very interesting. So we've been talking about the a little bit about the history of AMTA, and we've been talking about kind of some of the things that have developed over the years to bring us to where we are today. And I know that you and Colleen work closely together and are involved in some of the cool new things that are evolving. Before we go into that, tell me a little bit about how you got connected with AMTA. 
Sure. I studied to be a high school physics teacher as an undergraduate. I attended Illinois State University um, with my father, actually, as the uh, teacher educator, physics Hmm. teacher educator. We had a really robust program. And um, Colleen, I don't know if he knew you personally. He certainly knew about you. Um, But he actually brought modeling into some of our methods courses. But I didn't know it as modeling. Um, And so I did a lot of my student teaching, I guess, in what I'd call the modeling style with a lowercase m. And uh, then I ended up uh, taking a summer workshop right before my student teaching and, um, you know, got formally exposed to modeling and felt like my eyes were opened about, you know, actually understanding physics after four years (laughs) as an undergraduate. And what year was that? That would have been 2007. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Awesome. So I I taught high school physics for seven years, um, you know, did modeling right off the bat. But I also, you know, like a lot of modelers, right, brought in lots of different things and thought about how modeling could be applied in a variety of different contexts and, uh, you know, eventually kind of got involved in technology with my husband being a mobile app developer and uh, things took off from there um, in terms of wanting to make sure that my kids could get experience with physics, um, not just in my classroom, but with tools that they had themselves, which, you know, again, including mobile devices, tablets, smartphones, things like that. So in the classroom, you were there seven years? Yep. Until 2014? Correct, yes. And then what? where'd you go? What happened? What happened? Um, yeah. So after I, um, I taught for seven years, you know, I just kept looking for more opportunities to branch out. And I got accepted as what we call an Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellow, which is a um, federally funded, actually nationally, uh, federally legislated program for K through 12 STEM teachers to go work as a guide, counselor, advisor on STEM education issues at federal agencies and also on Capitol Hill in a variety of different political offices. Hmm. And uh, I ended up getting placed at NASA headquarters in the Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate, which is the part of NASA that works on airplanes and helicopters that people don't often think about or even know about. Hmm. And uh, after that, I spent almost uh, three years at the American Association of Physics Teachers as uh, their K-12 program manager And now I work mostly internationally with teacher education initiatives um, through a diplomatic organization. But you've continued to stay connected with AMTA. Yeah, very much so. Um, When I was at AAPT, I remember my first formal conversation with Colleen, um, which ended up being around an NSF proposal, National Science Foundation proposal. Because when I was an Einstein fellow, um, even though we were all at different agencies, we had these what we called First Fridays, which were professional development sessions based upon the interests of the fellows. And one of them happened to be Bootstrap for Algebra, which was originally out of Brown University. And kind of like modeling opened my eyes about physics, I felt like that single four-hour session on programming, Bootstrap is an approach to, to programming, with the intent to teach algebra, opened up my eyes about programming and made me feel competent and made me feel um, like it was accessible. And I said to myself, well, if they can do this with the intent of supporting algebraic understanding, can't we use it also to support physics? And so I had this tiny little idea and I brought it to Colleen and Colleen's like, we can write an NSF proposal about that. So (laughs) um, you get pretty intimate with people, right? When you write NSF proposals and, and that's where it started um, 
and that was in 2016, possibly 2015. This might have been when we started that. Yeah. It was the winter meeting at uh, January 2016. Okay, well, there we go. Yeah. yeah. And so where has that proposal gone? Yeah, so we got funded um, for $1.25 million. Um, actually, prior to that, we'd actually gotten a hundred, about $100,000 through 100K and 10 um, with, uh, through our partner, STEM Teachers New York City, STEM Teachers NYC, which is an AMTA kind of, um, uh, it's a group of modelers in the New York City area. So we started with that. And then went right into the NSF grant, which um, we would have finished this year, except we are going to be extending into the following year. So um, that has become a pretty robust program where we have worked with over 63 teachers. Um, all of them have gotten two to three weeks of professional development. Some of them have been with the program for multiple years and um, have developed leaders, developed a set of curricular resources, and um, which is all online, apt.org slash K12. And then you can click on computational modeling and physics. And I'm sure AMTA also has, a, they also have a program page. It's also linked to Bootstrap for Algebra. So there's many ways to get involved with it and to find out about it because there are many different partners. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so specifically, how do you think our AMTA listeners would want to connect with that? Mm -hmm. um, well, we, I, uh, we, we actually have a variety of different ways. I mean, of course, with coronavirus, things are <laughs> a little bit of a standstill. But um, again, the student-facing resources, which are really pretty robust and dovetail very nicely with Physics First material, that's mm. all freely accessible and online. Um, in terms of actual trainings, professional development, we already have our cohort filled for next summer for the face-to-face three-week workshop, um, and that's summer 2021. Um, and we currently actually have an online course that is finishing up, but I anticipate there will be more opportunities for those things in the future. So I would say, again, you know, uh, visit the webpage, apt.org slash K12, and um, you can uh, get our contact info and, and reach out for, uh, you know, updates as they come. If you'll share with me any links and uh, contact points, we can put it on the website Great. for the podcast and people can go there to find how to connect in with that. Excellent. So, Colleen, you and Rebecca and others are collaborating on some things and ways to bring new resources to the modeling community. Can you tell me about that? Sure. So, if we if we reach back a little bit and and think about um, how members want things, and so AMTA makes it happen, mm -hmm. and there had been. Uh, sort of groundswell of interest starting in the 2000s, the late 2000 decade, um, of physics teachers who wanted us to incorporate programming into high school physics. They felt that they wanted their students to learn to program and they weren't getting programming courses um, in their regular curriculum, but that um, it could easily be incorporated. And a number of these teachers went ahead and, and did it themselves using vPython. So there was a groundswell of interest in the community to incorporate computing into um, our physics modeling workshops. That was the backdrop for the conversation that Rebecca and I had initially in 2016. Um, I had been listening to members for years saying, wouldn't it be great if we could have a computational modeling workshop 
And here was the perfect opportunity to have a computational modeling workshop. We had not originally thought of that as something that you could do with Physics First, which is Physics for Ninth Graders. And yet, uh, this particular approach to teaching kids to code was very compatible with a ninth grader. They were teaching it as a way of teaching kids algebra. Hmm. And that's really what kids are learning as they are taking ninth grade physics. So it seemed like a perfect fit. So why not? I already knew this is what members wanted. Um, and uh, the 100K and 10 funding, 100K and 10 is, a, is an organization of professional development providers, teacher education providers, and foundations, people who give money to STEM education. And so they have periodic grant competitions um, for relatively small grants um, in the you know $100,000 range, anywhere from $5,000 to $100,000. And so we won one of those grants because we had someone in New York City who could help launch the program. So this gave us a little extra appeal when we applied for funding to the National Science Foundation because we were able to tell them that we had already won a small grant to pilot this idea that we were proposing for the larger grant. And um, I'm sure that gave us a little leg up in the competition. Um, nonetheless, we, we won the grant and um, we've made a go of it. We have learned a lot of things about what it takes to be able to do this and to sustain this, this reform um, over the long term. Um, it turns out logistics is probably a bigger barrier to doing computing and physics than cognitive abilities. And also, there's some really squishy ideas out there in the research community about what it takes to learn computing and physics. Um, there's a, a lot of discussion around computational thinking, and uh, there are standards both in math and in science um, having to do with computational thinking. And um, there isn't a good definition of what that is. So we have worked on that definition as well. And we have developed some assessments that we can use in ninth grade physics classrooms that help us and that will ultimately help teachers see how this is translating into students ability to think computationally about physical phenomena so we've been working on that now for four years and as with all modeling workshops it's still a work in progress we invented modeling physics workshops 30 years ago and they are still a work in progress so it it continues to evolve as as the affordances we have in our classrooms evolve. Um, I can't tell you what the next generation of, of computational modeling physics will be, um, but uh, it's on the drawing board. I will tell you that. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, are you involved in this thinking as well? The development oh, of yes. all this? Yeah. So that's, this is, I mean, this is basically our, our grant project in, in a nutshell, right? Is um, I mentioned programming, but programming is simply a tool to help students become good computational thinkers, to be good, become, you know, in, in the context of physics, computational modelers. Um, so yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's what this is all about. So in kind of a concise, uh, compact way, what are the results of this 
grant that you guys are bringing to the forefront? So one thing that our teachers regularly talk about is the importance of representations within modeling instruction. And, um, you know, we've got uh, uh, algebraic representations, graphical representations, we've got verbal representations, vector, and sometimes even physical three-dimensional representations. And this particular project now brings the computer program as one additional computational representation. And what I concretely mean mm. by that is if we're trying to represent motion, for example, we might look like at a position time graph, a velocity time graph, we might even draw some arrows and dots, you know, to, to create a vector vector plot, but now we also have a way where we can, using the language of computers or using computer code, express that type of thinking in a different way. And, um, mm. you know, in physics, and especially with algebra, we often focus on time-based equations, right? Everything is dependent upon time, but with the computer, it doesn't have the same sense of time. It's much more moment to moment to moment, like a motion map or a, a vector diagram. And so we're trying to help students be able to to, you know, correlate, to, to make connections between and among all these different representational forms with the hope that it helps them to more deeply understand how we think about, you know, changes in systems, be it motion or be it force or, or you know, um, that's mostly what we focused on. But we've also thought about how could this get expressed in, in, in other things like fields, for example, wave motion. And we mm. haven't quite gotten there. Some of our teachers have dabbled in it, but as a project, we haven't quite gone there yet. Um, so you guys are managing that grant. Is, is there another, did, Colleen, did I hear that there's another grant that you guys are kind of collaborating on? There is. There is. Um, we have a grant to develop an app for your smartphone. And in fact, the app has now been developed um, that lets you visualize a magnetic field um, using augmented reality. Mm. So it takes an image that you are seeing with the camera on your phone, and it uses the magnetometer in the phone to superimpose little dots or arrows that represent the magnitude and direction of the magnetic field around, I don't know, anything in your house or anything in your world including the world itself. Wow. Now, what would the application for a teacher? I'm, I, I'm not a teacher. You know this. I'm not a modeler. I'm just an interested party with a wife who's very into it. <laughs> What's the application for, the, for our instructors, our teachers? Rebecca, you want to take that? Sure, I'm, I'm happy to. So let me put it this way. So typically when teachers teach about magnets, um, the one kind of concrete experience that most teachers will do with students is to place like a bar magnet on the table, put a piece of paper on top of it, and then to have students place iron filings. And then what you see is a, is a pattern. It's a pattern where you can kind of see lines that go from the North Pole to the South Pole. You can't tell the direction, though. Um, but you kind of see this pattern. It's like a butterfly pattern almost ar around, the, um, around the magnet. Sometimes you'll get really creative teachers that I've seen that'll actually place magnets in jello. So you take clear jello and you mix in iron filings and you suspend a magnet and you can actually get the iron filings to kind of um, get suspended in the jello and you can see this three dimensionally. Um, 
that was a pretty awesome uh, example, actually, I got from PTRA, the Physics Teaching Resource Agents of the American Association of Physics Teachers a while back. But most people just leave it at that. And then they'll move on to, you know, uh, electromagnetic interactions, basically. So um, I feel like there's a lot of space for, um, I guess, no pun intended, for, for deeply understanding fields. Because for many students, um, they they don't really have a good understanding of fields. Now, modeling does a great job of when we study things like um, gravity, um, to think about like energy fields, to think about force fields that traditionally physics and physics teachers may not touch on. But magnetic fields, I think, are really cool because, um, number one, they're fascinating for kids. You know, get, you know, magnetized marbles or whatever. Kids will have hours playing with those kinds of things. But kids don't often have a deep understanding for three-dimensionally how these things look. And, again, just the uh, concept of fields is very new for many people. It's bizarre. It's so bizarre, in fact, that there's this wonderful book called um, The Evolution of Physics. It was written by Albert Einstein for the general public in which he talks about this idea of fields. And it's because of the idea of fields that we have, you know, some of these more modern understandings of physics. But people were still struggling. The general public was still struggling with these ideas in the 1940s, 1950s um, because it was just so novel. And I think... What I love about magnetism and magnetic fields is it really brings to life this whole paradigm shift in physics. And with the app in particular, it kind of goes back again to representations, right? Um, AR is not a physical thing, but it does take place in physical space. And so unlike having a, a computational model, right, where you can like rotate uh, something that looks three-dimensional on a flat computer screen, this particular app that we're talking about allows you to move through space with your phone and to see magnetic fields from different, from different perspectives and to yeah. collect the data as you go. And it's raw data, it's real data. So it's not just some computer telling you what it should be. It's actually allowing you to visualize in real time and real space what that three-dimensional field looks like, which may be much more complicated than a field around a simple bar magnet. So I guess it's hard for me to answer your question because that's the question that we're asking for our grant is what can we practically get out of this? I see lots of opportunity and aspiration, but you know, let's see, um, let's see what the teachers tell us they can do with yeah. it. I love crowdsourcing where you put it out there and then you collect the data on how people are developing creative uses yes. and, you know, pulling that in. So this is kind of exciting to see how it evolves. So right now I want to ask, how do people get the app? So we also have a website. I'll be your website person today. Um, www.magna, that's M-A-G-N-A hyphen A-R dot net. Um, if you go to that website, there are links, direct links to take you to the um, the app for Android phones and also for iPhones. We'll post that on the website as well under your episode, this episode. Great. I'm just going to jump in for a moment and say that um, that as Rebecca said, fields are hard. And this is something that teachers, especially high school teachers, have approached with caution, if at all. It's one of the most avoided topics in high school physics and understanding of fields. Mm. And many um, teachers will say, well, I don't really talk about fields because the kids just don't get it. It's magic. It's action at a distance, right? Yeah. It's magic. And, um, and that may be code for, um, for that we don't really get it. Right. Sometimes I, I, I will admit that when I first taught physics, 
I didn't really get fields. I could kind of get gravitational fields because, well, it's just down, right? And it's just an attractive force. Mm. And I've got a representation for that. But I didn't have a good representation for magnetic fields that was three-dimensional. Mm. And I think that's mm. the, the big aha for people when they use the app. That if they want to know what the magnetic field is here, they can turn on their app and they can place a dot on the phone here and they can see exactly what that magnetic field is. And if they want to know how it changes as you move through space, they can do that. And if they want to take their phone and move somewhere else and look at the magnetic field they just put over there, they can do it. They can see what it looks like from the other side or from underneath. How exciting. Or from above, because they can move their phone around and still look at that field. And it's uh, it's just hovering there in space, um, telling you at the points where you touched that phone and made a dot or an arrow, that's what the magnetic field looks like. It's pointing this way, and it's this strong. And um, the visualization um, for a three-dimensional thing like a field is, is a is a very big deal for really getting it if you're whether you're a kid or a teacher that's really exciting i think it's going to be neat to watch how this all unfolds over the next bit of time these are some very cool things that amta is involved in bringing resources to our teachers can you tell me are there some things that you're dreaming about that you'd be willing to share Let's, let's, I, I guess this would be future look if we if we could. Yeah. Um, so there has there's been a lot of rumbling. I mean, as as always, this has to do with what teachers want, right? So there has been a lot of rumbling for um, we need modeling instruction for elementary teachers, and when we do something for elementary teachers, we're not just going to be teaching them ways of teaching but um, we will also undoubtedly be strengthening their content knowledge. We need modeling instruction for mathematics, and we need guidance for using modeling instruction with English as a second language students. Um, So these are several of the areas where we continually hear from teachers with questions about how to reach students better. Um, I think this is just speculation, but um, sitting in the midst of the pandemic, I think that we're going to start hearing from teachers who want um, ways of using modeling instruction um, via distance learning. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, because it really is a different learning environment, and they are stuck in it right now. And it's, no one has high expectations right now. Everybody knows it's rough because there was no preparation for plunging into this new environment but now that we're here we need to know how to do it well mm-hmm. so what does that look like mm-hmm. um that that's going to be another area i'm sure of exploration mm-hmm. can i add one too colleen <laughs> Um, And this is something that I feel has actually come out of our computational modeling grant, which is the big data question. Um, I think that there's there are a lot of folks or there's a number of folks who've been doing um, programming with spreadsheets. But what's attractive about this is the idea that physics 
people use big data, including raw data. Um, so things like uh, seismic data, earthquakes, you know, being able to really bring in some of this earth and space science data um, in, in a way where, you know, I think, I don't want to say traditional modeling, but, but kind of the original modeling, right, very much is focused on classical mechanics, kind of, you know, very linear kind of, um, you know, one, two dimensional kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, we know that we at some point need to move our kids towards messier data um, and towards um, some contextualized data, right, with the, with the foundation in the original stuff, of course. But, you know, we know that we can take our kids further. Sure. Yes, we absolutely have to, to move into data science um, or move data science into science and mathematics. Um, we, we have the tools. There's no excuse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kids just need more time taking physics is <laughs> honestly what needs to, yeah. needs to happen. More, more science in general, more STEM, for sure. Rebecca, when we first invited you to come talk with us, did you have anything you thought we might need to talk about that would be important to you? I guess, you know, there's there's a couple things that I think um, I'm really excited about with the projects that we're working on. Um, the one with the computational modeling, um, I think, as you mentioned earlier, it's really important for any research project to give the something, whatever it is you're working on, to give it to the teacher and see what they want to do with it, see what they come up with. And with that computational modeling project, we actually started not doing trainings um, so much as saying, here's a new idea. Take, take what you can from it and make it into something beautiful. And out right. of that, we've got a number of workshop leaders who are extremely competent and who are really driving this process. Team. Um, so, you know, teachers as partners in research, I think is really critical. And that has always been a focus of modeling instruction. It's never been teacher-proof curriculum. <laughs> you know, it's never been, um, you know, we might we say workshops. We don't tend to call them trainings, right? Um, we we want teachers to be full partners, and so that vision and the vision of teachers as leaders and teachers as creators is probably you know one of my life missions is to make sure that that we respect everything that teachers bring to the table, and we just help to facilitate their becoming the best they can be. Are you involved as a workshop leader or doing any distance learning or any of that kind of stuff? No, I am not. Um, uh, so I, I attend the workshops, um, but my role um, is very much more on the um, programmatic development. Um, and uh, at this point, it's mostly about the managing managing all the the logistical pieces but then also mm -hmm. the research interviewing people um and uh, helping to develop some of the instruments for assessment so no I, I i wish i could have been a workshop leader at one point but um i don't have summers anymore yeah <laughs> to have that that, 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 that <laughs> uh, you know the time to dedicate to the things that i'd like to dedicate to well reading your bio i kind of thought maybe there was three people with the same name oh. <laughs> You're very active and, and involved with it and yeah. got your fingers in a lot of pies, but it sounds like you're contributing at a really high mm -hmm. level and we're really appreciative of that. Thank you. I mean, it, it's all about the ecosystem, right? You, you know, when you, when you plant a seed well mm -hmm. and you water it well and it gets lots of sunshine, it grows into, to something that's, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. And, um, I've been extremely lucky, you know, from my time at Illinois State University, from 
the the exposure that I had from from my parents into you know these kind of intellectual communities, and then mm. these people who fostered me along the way and invited me into their communities. I mean, that's um, that's great. I only hope that other folks get the kinds of invitations that I've gotten, and I hope I can offer that to others as well. Yeah. I know that people who hear this uh, episode will be interested in some will have questions for you specifically and will want to connect. So you'll share with me uh, any ways that you're reachable. Of course. And uh, we'll share that on the on the uh, website as well. So, Colleen, is there anything that you'd like to share any more about kind of the the development of AMTA? Well, so. Just maybe riffing off what Rebecca said, um, AMTA is is like a big field, and it's full of teachers. And um, you put things into that field, and they're like little magnets. You change the direction that they're pointing. Fields are interactions, right? So the iron filing interacts with the magnet. The, the iron filing changes the magnet, and the magnet changes the, the iron filing. Well, modeling instruction is a little bit like that. So you've got your field with modeling instruction in it and with people in it like Rebecca, mm. and they are orienting or reorienting teachers and their teaching by their interactions. So we have workshops in that field and we have teachers in that field and we have people in that field Mm -hmm. who are shaping each other as we go ultimately we're constantly changing because we're in the field we are we are actually interacting Mm. with the teachers which is maybe a little bit different than you know classic things um, in that field which are like textbooks they don't interact they're just there they're inert but we're all interacting all the time. And who knows, in this second-level chaotic system, where we will go next. Yeah. It's exciting to me. I have heard so many modelers say that one of the great things they gained in the modeling community was just that community that they had been missing. And to be able to connect with like-minded teachers and have the resources open up through the the common shared ideas has been really important to them. Not just the knowledge and the stuff they can apply, but the way that knowledge is shared in the community has been wonderful. So it's been exciting. Well, it's been great talking with you two about these exciting new things. And I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to share what you guys have been doing and uh, bring us into the kind of, well, I think just getting the app thing is a huge thing today. So thank you for that. And Rebecca, I hope you stay well on the East Coast. Thank you. Tell your husband thanks for the time that he gave you up. Yeah, no worries. (laughs) No worries. And Colleen, it's always a joy. And I have a feeling we may come back around on some of this stuff. We'll check in to see how the app is doing. And I think that would be a really fun podcast to have in the future. Yep. In a half hour, in a half hour piece. Yeah. We'll definitely try to make that happen. Great. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Mark. And Rebecca, it should be nice to have you back again sometime. I think that sounds great. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. 
head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.